0: And in the next few moments, as we open your word, I pray that we would see Christ, that we would understand how your spirit wants to touch and move in our hearts to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that it would be your words that we hear and we understand this morning. We pray that your spirit would be free to speak to us, encourage us in our faith. And God, help us to understand the depth of your love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You may have a seat. If you've been with us the last little while, we've been going through the book of John, and this morning I want to chat with you uh, about a passage of Scripture that, in my mind, is to believe or not to believe. And if you're familiar with Shakespeare, you know the end of that is what? Come on. What? That is the question. Seriously, there's no people in here. There was like three. Who knew that? Lisa, where's Lisa? She's coming in somewhere. English is falling apart. And I'm not like, you know, an English major. If you ask my English teacher, they would say that I was a horrible student in English. But to believe or not to believe, that's what I want to chat about this morning. We live in a period of time when it is normal to question To think that there are no absolutes, there is nothing that you can put your hand on, that you could put your mind on, that stays absolutely solid in terms of truth. That is the day and age that we are living in. We are living in a day and age when folks are saying things like, whatever you want to believe is okay. I have my way, you have your way, and we'll be all right. Pastor Mike talked about a couple weeks ago of being tolerant of one another. It's okay as long as we all get along, everything will be okay. The problem with that is, is when life begins to rip the foundation that you're standing on out from underneath you, You have absolutely no place to go, nowhere to turn, nothing that is a constant, nothing that you can go back to or no one that you can go back to and begin to set your standard once again to walk, to live life, to figure out a way to take the next step in life. And what you're beginning to observe in the day and age that we live in and the generations that are following, that are growing up now, is a shifting sand where people are looking for something to grab a hold of. And maybe it's you. Maybe you're at that point in your life where you're saying, I would like to have one thing that is stable. That's it. Just something that I could grab a hold of. Something that stays stable the same we have fake news (laughs) you've heard about that if you followed at all we have people posting only the good of what's going on in their life so that everybody thinks that everything that goes on in their life is happy and cheerful and their family's got it all together and i'm living on the up and up all the time everything is so cool We have politicians that look at us and say one thing and do totally the opposite all the time. We have folks in business who are living one way, presenting one thing in business, but walking out something totally different in their private life, hoping that the two will never clash and no one will ever find out what's really going on. And yet, they do. The foundation seems to be eroding. It seems to be falling apart. Why? So, the question I have for you this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture is this What will it take for you to believe? Maybe you've been burned so many times in the last few years of your life that you're like, I don't believe in anything. There's nothing that grabs my, there's nothing that I will put any of my trust in at all. There's nothing that I'm going to say, this is it. This is the way. Because I've been burned. I've been hurt. There's just, there's nothing that I'll give myself to. What will it take for you to believe? That's really the question. That's what we face when we jump into this passage of Scripture in John chapter 20. If you have your Bible, I'm going to start in John chapter 20, verse 19. And I want to read some verses and kind of unpack some of this thought with you in the next few minutes that we have together. John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. This is Jesus. This is after he's been crucified, and he's, he's, the, the, the disciples are in a really bad spot. If you remember that prior to this, the disciples thought that Jesus was going to set up this political kingdom that was going to be so cool, so awesome, and they were going to be rulers in the political kingdom, and Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government, and everything was going to be so awesome, and if you remember, just not too long before this, just a few hours, a few days before this, they were cheering him on as he came in to the city. And then you remember we talked last week about Peter denying Jesus and saying, hey, I wasn't one of these guys, and I, I, I wasn't with Jesus, I don't know who he is. And Jesus dies on the cross. And you find these same disciples who are waiting for this political renewal to take place, for Jesus to do, become this king of the Jews. You find them in chapter 20, verse 19, huddled up and hiding. Look at this. And when it was evening, on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked, follow me, because they feared the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, Peace be with you. Now stop here for a minute, because I need you to understand a couple of things. First, first, Jesus had been crucified. A couple of the, the disciples and some other folks had seen Jesus. He's, he's risen again. And they, they had seen him. And the disciples at this point, it's evening, the first day. This is Sunday, what we would call Sunday. It's why we as believers in Jesus Christ celebrate and worship on Sunday because it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is risen again. And the disciples, though, they're, they're all, they've all pulled together. And they're huddled and there's some other people there with the disciples and they're huddled in the upper room and they are scared because the Jews had just taken their leader and they're wondering if the Jews are going to wipe them out as well. And they're in the upper room and they're all huddled together and they're fearful There's two travelers on the Emmaus Road who are with them. If you go back in the Gospels, you'll find that that they're there. You'll find that there's other believers that are also up in the upper room. And you'll find this, that it says in in the other Gospels, that they're, they're having a meal together. And they're spending some time together. It's very practical. It's what you and I do. It's when all else fail, we eat. Right? That's what we do. That's what everybody says. When we don't know what else to do, you get ice cream out. It's what you do. And that's what the disciples, I don't know if it was ice cream, but they were eating. Has that ever been you? See, we're hired on the disciples, we're hired on the followers, but I want to ask you a question Is that you? You don't know where to turn next. Things aren't going the way that you thought they would. Life isn't happening the way you thought. God is not doing the things that you thought God should do for you. And so you're huddled up and you're hiding and you're afraid and you're discouraged and you're distraught. And you've got a couple other people who are with you who are in the same boat that you are. And you're going, God, I don't know what in the world's going on. But I'm huddling here until you show it, until something happens. Because I don't know what to do next. That's the disciples. It's us. It's exactly what happens to our hearts. These guys are no different than we are. Yes, they had walked with Jesus Christ, but they're they're scared to death. They don't know what to do next. And they're standing in this room. They're together in this room. They're in fear. And in the middle of their fear, Jesus arrives. And I believe that they would be even more fearful because think about this, the door's locked and all of a sudden they're standing there or they're sitting there, they're having their meal and the door is locked and Jesus is standing right in front of them. Wouldn't that freak you out? Come on, seriously. If we lock the doors in this room and we're all huddled up and all of a sudden Jesus is standing on the stage and Jesus does what he always does. He says, peace to you. Don't be afraid. It's me. It's Jesus. I know you. I care for you. I love you. And so in the middle of these disciples' great fear, Jesus shows up and he arrives. And in their uncertainty, in our uncertainty, in your uncertainty, Jesus is there. He knows. I love this because Jesus doesn't reprimand them. He doesn't stand there and say, really? Really? After three years walking with me, this is what you do? That's what I would have done. Okay, I'll be honest. <laughs> really? You're the leaders and you're hiding? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, peace to you. Peace to you. In the presence of Jesus, our lives always end up from uncertainty to certainty, from chaos to peace. When Jesus is really allowed to live in us, the things that set us off are settled Look at verses 20 to 22. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So his disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace to you. Look at this. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I love this. Jesus shows up. He doesn't reprimand. He doesn't look at them and say, why in the world are you doing this? What's going on? He simply looks at them and says, peace to you. I'm Jesus. I'm the one that you followed. And as the Father sent me, you go go look folks it's not what I would have done but Jesus knows us he knows our heart and he says look I want to give you the freedom to go share the truth of who I am with the people around me I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat you I'm not gonna I'm not gonna belittle you I'm gonna give you the ability to go do what I asked and the scripture says this and he breathes the Holy Spirit on him it's the promise that he gave them earlier When I leave, I will give one just like me, the comforter, the counselor, who will fill you with truth. And Jesus does that. He walks in and he goes, here, I'm going to send you out And here. Here's the Holy Spirit to help you do that. Hey, folks, he's doing the same with you. When you came to know Jesus Christ, he didn't leave you on your own. He said, here, I know it's uncertain. I know it's difficult, but here, here's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will direct you and guide you and lead you and give you the power and the strength that you need to do the things that I'm asking of you. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, I send you. Go, go, do it. No long discourse, no long sermon, just I am God, go. (laughs) You know what? That's what he's saying to us, folks. Sometimes we want to analyze things to death. We want to study them to the point that they're useless. And God is looking at us and He says, look, I'm God. I've given you the Holy Spirit. Now go! Go do the ministry I asked you to do. Serve. The disciples go from fear to courage. And that's what the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life does. He gives us courage. He gives us the strength to go on. Now, I want to talk to you about one guy. If you have your Bible, go to verse 24 with me. It says this. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we have seen the Lord. Catch verse 24. But Thomas was not with them. For some reason, Scripture doesn't tell us why. It just says that Thomas was not in that room. Thomas, I believe, was as fearful as they were. He was probably as discouraged and disheartened as they were. He was probably thinking, look, my Lord, my master, the teacher, the one I'm following is gone. What do I do next? And maybe he went to Brenda's and got ice cream instead of just having it in the upper room. But he's not there. He is not with them. It's been me. It's been you. You were supposed to be somewhere, and you stopped and got ice cream instead. Jess, you know what I'm talking about, right? You guys all know what I'm talking about. You were supposed to be somewhere. You were supposed to be with God's people. You were supposed to be ministering in a place, but instead you weren't there. I've been there. The interesting thing about this little verse is this, that the verses prior to it, they were fearful, they were scared. They're no different. Thomas was in the same place that the disciples. We call him Doubting Thomas. It's not fair because the disciples were the same as him. They all were the same. But Thomas wasn't there. And in not being there, he missed out on something pretty Amazing. Because Scripture says that when Jesus came that first time, he breathed the Holy Spirit on him. And, and Thomas gets the Holy Spirit later. But he was together with the believers to experience that event with Jesus Christ, and he missed out. And, and I, I'm not building a theology, a, a, a case. I'm not doing it. All I'm asking you is this. Have there been times in your life when God prompted you to be somewhere and you didn't go? And you didn't do it. And I I don't know how it worked for Thomas. I don't know what God had done in his heart and his life. It doesn't tell us that he told the disciples to meet in that room. It doesn't say any of that. I'm simply saying I know what goes on in my own heart. That there are times when the Spirit of God draws me to do something, and I don't do it. I don't follow through. I don't act the way that God asked me to act. And because of it, I miss out. Now, what I love is that's not the end of this passage. I love the rest of this passage. If you keep reading in this, let me read verse 26 to you. It says this. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. I love this. (laughs) Look, I want to tell you something. I want to give you a little secret about spiritual life, okay? Follow me. Stay with me. Satan likes nothing more than to isolate you from other believers. When life starts to go sideways for you and it gets chaotic and events start to happen in your life that you can't explain and sin is pushing in on you and maybe some relationships are going sideways and things at work are not lining up the way they're supposed to and you're having a struggle in your walk with God, Satan loves to pull you aside and pull you outside off by yourself so that you're all alone so when he gets you alone, he can jump on you. And it's the worst place you can be. Satan loves isolation. Because he can lie to you. And he can tell you things about yourself that are not true. They're not from God. They're not what God says at all. It's not how God sees you at all. But Satan knows if I can get him alone, if I can get her alone, I can lead her in a direction or him in a direction that I can do damage in their life. I can do damage with their relationship with God. I can lead them to places that they may not come back from. and That's what he loves to do. And that's why I love verse 26 because verse 26 says, And Thomas was with the disciples. He's where he should have been. He was being encouraged by the other disciples. If you look at the end of verse 25, it says this, that they were telling him, we saw the Lord. We saw him. He's still here. He's still God. He's still on the throne. We saw him. He sent us out. He gave us the Holy Spirit. They're lifting up Thomas. They're encouraging him. Some of you have been running away. You've been hiding. You're living in isolation. Somebody offended you and you got your tail in a knot and you took off and you're running the other way because I can't put up with people. Well, too bad you're a people too, okay? And you've done the same thing to other people. Get off it, get back, get where you belong. Be with people who can encourage you and live life with you and let God show up through those people to be an encouragement to your heart. And Thomas went back where he was supposed to be And he went back with the disciples. A week later, the disciples were indoors, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, God does it again. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Look at verse 27. And then he looked at Thomas. And here's what I would expect, because we call him Doubting Thomas. I would expect that Jesus would go, Thomas, you're a doubter. I can't believe you doubted the guys. You weren't here. You weren't here to, nobody shot a video. You didn't see any of this. How in the world can you not take the word for it? He doesn't do that. Jesus looks at Thomas the way Jesus always looks at us. And in the middle of Thomas's difficulty with believing, Jesus looks at him and he says, I remember what you asked for here. Put your fingers here and look at my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Jesus is saying the same thing to you this morning. Some of you have been running around as Christ followers saying, God, if you do this, I'll believe. God, if you do this with this relationship, then I got it. I'm with you. God, if you do this with my job, then I'll believe you. God, I'll have faith. If you do this, then I'll have faith. And Jesus is looking at you right now, and he's saying, hey, I'm here. I'm standing here. I've never gone anywhere. Don't be faithless. Just believe. Believe that I'm him. Believe that I'm God. Believe that I rose again. Believe that I have your best interest in mind. Believe that I'm the God who wants to make a difference in you and through you. Believe. Believe. You don't just believe a little bit. <laughs> you either believe or you don't. And we all believe in something. We've all put our trust in something. There's something in your life that's giving you meaning. There's something in your life that's giving direction to you. And if it's not Jesus Christ, it will fail. If it's that person is not Jesus Christ, they will fail. They will let you down. So what do you believe in? What are you believing in? What are who are you believing in to bring meaning into your life? Because all of us have something. we have someone. What will it take for you to believe that Jesus is enough? He's enough. Thomas thought that the wounds, touching the wounds, but you know what? That wasn't what did it. He doesn't say that he touched Jesus at all. It says that being in Jesus' presence, he looked at Jesus as soon as he showed up, and Jesus said, here, touch me. Go ahead. See that I am who I said I was. And, Jesus, and Thomas' response immediately is, my Savior, my Lord, and my God. <laughs> You're him. You're it. You're the one. You're the master. You're my God. You're my Savior. There's a warning that's given to us about this whole thing of unbelief. If you have your Bible, go over to Hebrews with me for just a minute, chapter 3. I want to read these verses. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. Watch out, brothers and sisters so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Be careful. Be careful that your unbelief does not harden your heart to who God is and what he wants to do in your life. When you hear the voice of God, turn quickly, say yes quickly to what it is that he's saying to you. What he's speaking to you. Thomas wanted it to be true. He wanted what the disciples were saying to be true. He wanted Jesus to, to give him proof. That's what he was asking for. And when Jesus shows up, he's like, yes. You're my Lord and my God. Verse 28. That's what he says. He says it this way. And Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. And he gave himself over to God let me ask you a question have you been living your life in unbelief have you been looking at God saying God just give me some proof (laughs) as if what he's done in your life hasn't been enough What will it take for you to believe? Lost person, person who doesn't know God, you don't have a relationship with God yet, you've been looking, you've been trying to figure out what God's all about, what will it take for you to believe? That Jesus is enough. That the price he paid on the cross for you is enough. What will it take? Believer, what will it take for you? To look at Jesus and say, my Savior, my God, I believe. I believe. If you're a Christ follower here this morning and that's you and you say, I believe, I got it, then Jesus' response to you is verse 20. And verse 20 said this, as the Father sent me, Jesus Christ to the earth, to, to pay the price for mankind, to offer them salvation, then so send I, you. (laughs) Do you believe? If you believe, you've been sent. Your job is not just to take up space on this earth. Your job is not to just enjoy life, although that's good. Your job is not just to have a good time. It's not just to go to work. It's not just to raise your family. Your job as a Christ follower is to help other folks see the love of Jesus Christ living in you. As the Father sent me, so send I you. What will it take for you to believe? Father, would you help us? We all are like Thomas, whether we want to admit it or not. We struggle with believing. We struggle with faith. There are events that happened in our life this week. That we're calling us to believe. And yet often we say, I don't know. God, by your spirit, work in our hearts. Bring us to a place where we, like Thomas, can say, my Savior, my Lord, my God. Help us to believe. And then help us to walk out that belief with the folks that we live life with every day. God, if there's some here this morning who who haven't figured that out, they, they don't have a relationship with you yet. By your Spirit, draw them to your Son. Help them to understand that you're a risen Savior, a risen God, who lives today, who paid the price for their sins so their relationship with their Creator could be restored and renewed. Help us this week. Help us to love you, to live for you, and to believe in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.